1: It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's beat
0: reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson. Logan, how was your weekend?
1: Like? It was good, man. Busy. Kind of sneaky busy, you know, but in a good way. So yeah. you do all right? How was your weekend come on yeah, out? Yeah, it, uh, it was
0: good. It was good. Had a couple of things going on. Uh, culminated with going to the Spirit game on Sunday. Uh, saw the girls get... Uh, first win of the season in their first game, so solid three points. Trinity Robbins scored an absolutely ridiculous goal, so good times. A good time was had by a Washington home team, and that's something that doesn't feel like it's happened in a while. Do
1: You still know a lot of people on the team there.
0: I do, I do. Um, got a good, they got a great group, um, great group of players, great group of staff. I actually knew some of the new staff from old old spots that they were in. Uh, so it should be it should be a fun year. I'm excited for it. But on this here podcast today, uh, the the American Football uh, variety, of course, uh, we'll get into a little bit more talk about Dalton Kincaid, Of course, he was kind of the center of the discussion we had last week after Daniel Jeremiah mocked him to Washington in his latest mock draft. Uh, Logan's taken a deeper look at Kincaid and has a couple of things to add on to that conversation. So we'll do that, and then we will get into some of the rule changes being proposed at the NFL owners' meetings. I've been debating them with a variety of people. Uh, Chris Russell came on the show, Logan, last week. We had a nice, fun discussion about it. Uh, people can check fun. that out on uh, on our podcast feed for The Hoffman Show or on YouTube. Uh, but I, you, I, I'm very excited to talk about them with, cause I feel like your perspective as someone who actually played is super valuable here and, and things you would like to see or wouldn't like to see as a player versus, uh, Chris and I media slash fans, uh, taking it totally from the outside. So let's start off with Dalton Kincaid though. Like, why did you want to circle back to him and, and the tight end discussion in general?
1: Well, I think, you know, like we both were pretty adamant about not taking a tight end at 16. I still feel that way, but I think it's important to kind of acknowledge what type of player Kincaid is and then also kind of why he might be getting pushed up draft boards. And so let's start with what kind of player he is. And again, this this is another reason I don't think he's a good fit for Washington because, you know, Kime, who's like the most dialed in dude on the beat, has kept saying that they want a two-way kind of guy, which means they want a guy who blocks and they want a guy who can catch passes. Kincaid is excellent at catching passes. Like he is fantastic. Like He's... He's got kind of this, you know, does anyone know who Dennis Pitt is? Like, is that from, name familiar to you, Craig? He uh, the tennis. name is
0: familiar, but he played for the Ravens, right?
1: He played for the Ravens. He's out of, uh, got a BYU, kind of this tall, angular, like 6'6", like really kind of move guy. He was my year. And the thing about him is like, he was probably 10 years ahead of his time, right? He was kind of this receiver first, really understood zones, really understood seams, pretty good after the catch. And that's kind of what you get with Kincaid. Is you get a guy who's kind of, that iteration of the tight end, and I think it's really fascinating to think of Dennis Pitta getting drafted in the third round, and then now all of a sudden Dalton Kincaid, a guy with a very comparable skill set, getting pushed in the first round. It just shows you the way the game's going, the way the position's going. Now, that being said, while he's such a really good, he's a very good pass re- pass receiver, he's also not very good in line. I don't I don't want to say he's not willing. Depending on who you talk to, a lot of people think he's not willing. I disagree. I think he's he's got a, like a little bit. You of You can toughness. be
0: willing and bad.
1: Correct, and I think that's exactly where he falls. He's willing, but not very good at it. And so for a team that kind of wants to be a run first team, I think you need a guy who's willing and moderate, if that makes sense, you know, and in right. a class with that's very deep in a class where there's a lot of guys who um, are willing and good, willing and moderate, and can also catch the ball pretty good. I think the fit might not be exactly what you're looking for here in Washington just from that standpoint. Now, Another thing is like, well, why is he at 16? And I think, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before the show, is that there's no true, like, number one dog wide receiver in this class. Like, I'm a Quentin Johnson guy, but I'm the first one to tell you, the Quentin, Quentin Johnson at a TCU, he's 6'3", 210 pounds. He's going to run fast. I think he's very polished as a route runner, but he's a very imperfect receiver. And what I mean by that is like he, a lot of body catches, he fights the football a little bit. Now he's dynamic as heck, and he can make big plays, but you're always kind of negotiating – him as a receiver, like, can he catch the football at a high level? And that's not a good question to be asking about a number (laughs) one wide receiver all the time, you know? So I think he, it's there, but I do think one of the things about Kincaid is he consistently catches the football at the high level. He consistently wins one-on-ones. And I think that's why you got to see him getting pushed up. Like this isn't a year like last year where there's four or five kind of legitimate number one options that are going to be taken in the first round. This is like, we're kind of like that one B kind of tier of receiver that could be really good, but there's a little bit more questions. So I think you'll see a guy like Kincaid getting pushed higher and higher into the first round. I still stand by what we said before that you shouldn't take a tight end in the first round, especially this year. But I'm just trying to give some explanation and reason as to why a guy like Daniel Jeremiah, who's super dialed in and super smart would be mocking him this high in, in these, in these mock drafts.
0: Yeah, I mean, the th- the one thing that you said last week that I had literally never thought about before is the financials of It is right. like first round getting an offensive tackle. And if you get a guy who's premier year one, year two, even year three, you're paying like a 10th of what you would pay an actual premier tackle. Same thing at, at quarterback, obviously, uh, that that number might be a literal 10th. Uh, maybe right. tackle, yeah. it's like, <laughs> tackle it's like a quarter, a, fifth, a third. Yeah. Um, right. But it's, you know, it's literally, you know, if you're paying five million dollars a year for a premier quarterback at this point, that's a tenth of what you know Joe Burrow is about to get paid, for instance, uh, what Justin Herbert's about to get paid, for instance. So there is a financial element to this that, like, if you're trying to get a bargain, it it makes a lot of sense to consider the positional values in the way that you're talking about. That said, if Dalton Kincaid's Travis Kelsey, you take Dalton Kincaid because you take the hall of fame, like screw value. The value right. is we got a hall of famer, but he's not. And like that. And, and I think the other thing too, specifically to a guy like Kelsey, who everyone wants to say, Oh, well, the commander's tight end room isn't very good. Look what the had in Kelsey and Kansas city. They need that Kansas city didn't have the receivers they had. They have here. Obviously, they had Tyreek Hill for a long time, who was as good as anybody in the sport, um, incredibly unique, but as good, you know, production-wise as anybody in the sport, and that obviously helped Kelsey tremendously. But Kelsey was still great when Tyreek left. But the features of this offense under Eric Bieniemy will not be the same as it was in Kansas City. They're gonna play more to the outside here because they have Terry, because they have Jahan, because they have Curtis Samuel, who's kind of their move guy and as close to Tyreek from a skill set standpoint as as they've got here. But I I think the other thing about a guy like Kincaid to kind of bring everything that we just said together is if you're going to have a guy who is not great in line, you're going to want to split him out. That's great for matchups. But that potentially, depending on your formation, means one of those other guys is not on the field. Right. And so could you go, you know, two by two with a tight end in one slot and then the other, you know, Jahan, let's say, in the other? Yes. But it's not like Kansas City where you break the huddle in 21 personnel and all of a sudden you're splitting out and kind of getting the surprise, you know, like it's 11 uh, in, in the ways that you would with Travis Kelsey. It's just a different set of personnel here that makes it, well, yes, there is tons of room to upgrade. This tight end room does not justify, especially with the draft class taking one at 16, unless you think Dalton Kincaid's a Hall of Famer.
1: Yeah. And I was going to say, I'm really glad you brought that up. Cause like when you talk to people at the combine, for example, like when you're talking about draft process, it's like, well, you know, you got, we talked about the buckets a couple podcasts ago, tiers, mm-hmm. right? Tier one, tier two. But the thing that breaks tiers is if you think it's a blue chip prospect. And what, what do you mean by a blue chip prospect? Is a guy that's like, um, you know, the, uh, Carter from Georgia this year is kind of the guy. He's the best player in college football. He plays defensive tackle. Like, he's everyone thinks he's kind of this generational type guy. And then that breaks buckets because you say, well, I'm, I don't care if he's, you know, a, a nose guard or whatever he is, three techniques. Like, those guys have more value now. But, you know, Kyle Pitts is maybe a better example. He's a blue chip prospect. He's a bucket breaker. Like you're going to take him in the first round because he's special. And so I don't see that same skill set with Kincaid, but there might be a team and Washington might be one of them that says he's a blue chip prospect and that would make him a bucket breaker. And then all of a sudden you have a guy that is sitting at 16. You say, wow, how fortunate are we that he fell to us at this position? Now I don't think that's going to be Washington's process. And again, it's not necessarily a knock on Kincaid, but there's other guys in this class, like Sam Laporta from iowa will be available at 48 and he is a heck of a football player luke musgrave might be available at 48 and quite frankly i think luke musgrave has higher upside than uh, dalton kincaid from a physical trait standpoint and so both those guys are going to be sitting there in the second round and the the difference of the film is somewhat marginal now sam Laporta i think is a receiver you know, he's fast, he's big, he's strong, but he doesn't, he doesn't have the nuance that Kincaid has, for example. So maybe you say, well, that's where Kincaid's value comes, but I'm of the mindset, man, like there's so many guys in this class, take one in the second round, but there is a world where he's the guy that they love. They absolutely love him, And then you pick him at 16 and then no one can, like, you can have fault with the pick because of the tight and all that stuff, but based on processes, like that's good process. So I'm not going to, hate on that. If they really think that's what he is, you know?
0: All right. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to break the the rundown here uh, to ask you about another bucket breaker. Uh, yeah. What about B. John Robinson? Because right. he's maybe top five player in the class. Uh, he's just a running back. And obviously they like Brian Robinson a lot. I think Antonio Gibson probably is better suited for what the enemy is going to try to do, although he's in the final year of his deal. And I do not see him getting extended uh, because he's a running back and giving running back second contracts uh, rarely works out if those contracts have any kind of significant dollars behind them. But if all of a sudden you want to be a run first team and you can get a generational running back, it would seem that that would make sense. Uh, yeah. However, 16 is rich. Uh, for a running back, and you have other positional needs, but he's he's definitely a bucket breaker, and that's why he's being mocked some as high as I don't think I've seen him top ten for a while, I've but I did see 10, one.
1: It's, ten with Philly was the one I saw recently. Yeah,
0: there you go. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I've seen him as low as like twenty seven. Right. So, what about Bijan Robinson in general? What about him for Washington?
1: I mean, Bijan Robinson on film is is the third is maybe the second non quarterback in this draft. You know what I mean? Like he is very, very good at football. I would say Jalen Carter first, then Bijan Robinson, but I'm sure people have it the other way around. Like he's for sure top five, most valuable player in this draft. So I do think that's a really interesting argument um, to take Bijan at 16. Cause like, again, from based on buckets and bucket breaking and blue chip prospects, like that would be sound process. However, <clears throat> I do think running backs. So we've talked about this before are very comparable to like linebackers. And what I mean by that is that they are so scheme dependent, kind of like tight ends. And so unless you have some kind of a good scheme to support it, um, a good offensive line to support it, the back isn't going to be as productive. I think a good example of this is like Najee Harris. Like Najee Harris is a good productive NFL running back, but his production in terms of yards per carry is down In relation to the rest of the league, because they don't have the offensive line to support his production. It was that way for Saquon Barkley for a long time, right? The O-line was kind of in flux. They didn't speak to his skill set. His production was down and obviously injury was a big part of that too. So I would say, in my opinion, if you really, like, if I really wanted to elevate the run game, I'm drafting an offensive lineman at 16, right? I might even draft an offensive lineman at 48. I want good, athletic, young guys, and if I want to elevate the run game, there's this is a relatively deep running back class. Like the kid from TCU just jumps off the screen. You watch his tape, and he's in. He's not even in a lot of people's top ten running backs, right? So he'll be available third, fourth, fifth round. <clears throat> Bring a guy like that in, give him huge holes to run run through, and let that four three speed kind of show off because no one's going to touch him until he's five yards down the field. That to me is where you see like why Philly is so excellent is because they just said, we are going to invest in the offensive line. It doesn't really matter who's playing running back for us as long as they're explosive and they have explosive traits because our offensive linemen are good enough to win one-on-ones, get hats on hats, and they're going to move people off the football. So I think that's the problem in my opinion with drafting Bijan at 16 is because you do need scaffolding around a Mm -hmm. running back. You need a foundation around a running back. So um, while I think he's a fantastic player, I think he elevates you on third down he elevates you on first and second down. Like I think he's a heck of a football player. Like he's 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 as good a football player as you're gonna see in this draft. It's just you need other parts around him. And I'm not sure this team has really finalized that that process yet in terms of building around a running back.
0: Right. You kind of have to luck into the luxury of taking a running back right. high. Right. Um when Dallas did it with Zeke, one Zeke was again generational prospect coming out um and-, and
1: Bijan and Bijan's better than Zeke Bijan's probably the best running back and it, depending on who you talk to since Adrian Peterson like that's wow. the kind of guy you're talking about right he, a lot of people think he's better than Saquon coming out like it's you're in rare too yeah you're rarefied air here with regards to what kind okay. of player this is so I think that's why this conversation is so unique because he is like to your point he's He's one of one from a running back standpoint.
0: Yeah. um, Which means it's going to be really hard if they were to decide to go that route to be mad at it. Like if you're going to fail, fail, fail with the hall of famer, you know? (laughs) Um, And it kind of, I'll I'll actually go double Dallas takes here, which will just thrill everybody listening. Um, But one, like when, when Dallas did it with Zeke, right? They had a weird year, like Dak had gotten hurt or whatever it was the year before. And so their team was pretty good. Their O-line had been built through the draft And so they were in a position where they could afford that luxury, where they can be like, yeah, if we can get an incredible running back, that's going to take our team to a completely new level. I would say Philly is in that, that position now, although they did just sign Rashad Penny, so I doubt they go that route. But if Philly wanted to take Bijan Robinson at 10, like, okay, Philly can take whatever they want. They've got good players literally everywhere. It's really annoying. They but- have great, like, but if they took him, it's all of a sudden like, wow, their run game is going to be absurd.
1: Right. And I think that's that's a really interesting point because like you said, they have really ridiculous players everywhere and that's good draft process. But also one of the things that Philly does, and this is like foundational to their GM's mm-hmm. philosophy is they draft offensive and defensive linemen in the first round. They don't do a lot of skill position drafting in the first round. And yeah. so I expect them to go defensive edge at 10 and probably defensive interior or offensive line at, at whatever, 31, whenever they're picking yeah. 32, 30, because there's no 32 picks, 30. So I think that that's like, Again, one of the reasons they are that way is because they draft good defensive play, defensive linemen, offensive linemen. They get comp- Like, think about this. They drafted, they drafted Andre Dillard in the first round three years ago, four years ago, the guy from Washington State. Mm-hmm. He did not play for them as a first round pick because Jordan Mailata came in. He just signed a deal in Tennessee to be the starting left tackle. They're going to get a comp pick for a guy that never played a snap for them. Because they that's just, crazy. because that's just good process. And if you think about positional value, offensive linemen specifically, defensive linemen specifically, they carry this tremendous value because they're really hard to find. And one yeah. of the things about Philly as a, compared to the rest of the league, it's, um, Cleveland's like this a little bit too, is their offensive line coach is really, really outstanding at developing guys. So you kind of put them in the system, they develop over the three or four years you trade them off, you auction them off, you get comp picks, you get actual trade value. And then you kind of just rinse and repeat that process. And that's one of the mm-hmm. values of having an outstanding offensive line or defensive line coach. Then get hyper, like think about San Francisco too, their defensive line coach. Um, yeah. uh, uh, um is his name. The guy from Texas a couple of years ago, he was in Houston. He's now with Kansas city. He signed mm-hmm. a two year deal for $20 million. And he was kind of in flux in Houston. And now, San Francisco is going to get a comp pick for a guy, right? That was kind of roaming the streets. Arden Key, same thing in San Francisco, right? Their offensive line coach, uh, Darrell Tapp, Darnell Tapp, guy played here for a while, is outstanding at developing guys and giving them direction. So I think, back to your original point, I don't think Philly's going to take him because that just kind of goes against their philosophy, you know? That
0: said, when they find someone truly outstanding, uh, Devontae Smith... They will break they're, that that they're pattern sure. a little yep. bit. Um, the other example I was going to say, though, on the Dallas front is in 2014, 13, whatever year it was, Way they drafted back. Travis Kelsey or not Travis Kelsey. Um, who's their old center? Uh, Travis Frederick, Frederick. Uh, with the 30th pick. And I remember Mel Kuyper. I was working in Dallas at the time. Mel Kuyper lost his mind because he barely had him in his top 100 prospects. And I remember saying, like, even if this guy's good, it's probably a mistake because if you could have gotten him around later and someone else, you should have done that. But if you're going to miss, miss with the Hall of Famer. And that's exactly what they did. They missed on the positional value, but they were right on the evaluation. And that dude was incredible for them and anchored their line for a decade uh, before he was forced to retire early. So if you're going to miss, so to speak, like, because the value is messed up, on positional player, value. Yeah. yeah by positional value miss with a guy who's awesome and then yeah. it's kind of hard to be mad at having a great player even if you maybe could have had him and someone else you'd rather just take the safety of getting the guy you think is great and yeah. if you're that right about it then then cool
1: yeah pff had an interview with the former gm from minnesota and it was really really well done you guys should check that uh, out spielman uh yeah spielman and but spielman was saying they asked him like would you draft adrian peterson today <laughs> all things being equal. And you like kind of knew his career trajectory. And he was like, how could I not draft a hall of famer? Like, how could I not do that? And right. And they were like, well, you know, positional value. He's like, dude, he's a hall of famer. He's one of the most productive. He's he might be the most dominant running back of the modern era. And, and he anchored
0: you, a bunch of winning teams.
1: Correct. And so when you think about it like that and that, you know, they're kind of making the comparison to Bijan John Robinson here, you know, when you compare the, and if that's the comparison, if, if, if Adrian Peterson is the comp for Bijan Robinson, now they're different players, different running styles, different skill sets, right? But um, I, I really think there's a compelling argument that you say, hey, if he's there at 16 and you think he's that type of player, you think he's got Hall of Fame potential, then you take him. Now, I do think that it's important to note the game has changed pretty drastically from yes. when Minnesota was running there, right? You know, now it's spread out, favors the passing game, pass-centric offenses, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, a place like Atlanta, the place that's going to run the football a ton, um, you know, Baltimore, something like that. I, I do think there's, there's a world where he goes, you know, Baltimore or excuse me, Atlanta's picking at eight. So, right. you know, maybe they say, Hey, he's just too good to pass up here.
0: I can think of worse things than a guy who I might give the ball 25 to 30 g- times a game being a hall of fame caliber ball carrier. Right. I mean, like at some point the math is this guy's going if, to, if we run 70 plays and he's getting 30 touches, Like, that's 45% of our, roughly 45% of our plays. Like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, positional value, again, and like, is that guy going to be around only for five years because you wear him out uh, because running backs deteriorate quickly? That's a different story. That's where, like, AP is is the mold breaker, the ultimate mold breaker. He was great for, like, 12 years. He was still really, really, really good when he got here. So um, that's the question you have to have, and that dude was a physical freak of all freaks, like in NFL history. Adrian Peterson's right. basically a cyborg, um, and I don't know that Bijan Robinson is that. Even if his peak might be something close to AP's. Yeah. All right, uh, any other thing on on bucket breakers on Robinson on Kincaid before we move on to the rule changes?
1: No, I'm really glad we touched on that though the bucket breaking thing, and, and I'm really glad you brought up Bijan Robinson because that's why that's why he's such a compelling player in this class because he's not he's not just a good running back he's being comped to some of the best running backs of the modern era. And when you're the guys that are in the hall of fame and when you're making those comps, it's like, shoot, like the, the he, he is the ultimate bucket bucket breaker. I don't think Kincaid is that guy, but Bijan Robinson is for sure. So I'm glad we talked about that.
0: Um, since I have it up, Daniel Jeremiah's top 50 prospects, uh, which he did back on March 9th, he's got Robinson third. So that's the yeah. kind of player that we're uh, talking about. He's behind Bryce Young and Will Anderson. take a man podcast from odyssey sports that's logan paulson i'm craig hoffman all right logan nfl owners meetings the annual league meeting happening at the biltmore (laughs) out in phoenix by the way if you ever get a chance to go to that go that is one of the dumb nicest hotels i've ever seen in my entire life yeah you've been been to the the
1: event before is the event good for media people to go to
0: um it's very silly to be honest um you kind of there's not really a lot I think I think actually one of the things that we're going to talk about here, the main thing we're going to talk about here, is the rules changes. Right. Yeah, it's actually something that I found interesting because you're kind of sitting around in a hotel lobby waiting for meetings to get out so you can chase down owners to be told no, we're not talking to you. So it's a very stupid event in that way. But the NFL does have like a bunch of press conferences. Goodell will speak, um, and then they have like a meeting with whoever the VP of officiating is or some high level person with the referees. And they go over specific calls. And I remember like a couple of things that went, they went over in the film session and then being able to talk about them way more intelligently wow. on the beat during the year when they would come up, because these are the types of things that come up in games. And like, that was back when they were adjusting the catch rule. And I think they were kind of fixing it and it got way out of whack. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, we want it. And, and they basically flat out were like, we would like it to be the 50 people in a bar rule. If fifty people in a bar think it's a catch, we need to write the rule in a way that it's going to be a catch. We can't right. do these stupid technicalities. Anymore. Is that
1: the video that Troy Vincent does, or is it a different video?
0: Um, it might have been Troy, but it might have been someone else. To be honest, it might have been more someone on the officiating side. Okay. But they like that person is up leading a meeting. I see. I see. Like a press, a, a, not really a meeting, a press conference. And so they go through stuff, and then it's like, hey, do you have any questions? It might have been Carl Sheffers actually, um, who's refereed yeah. a bunch of Super Bowls um and then it's like hey and it's really weird because you see Carl Sheffers not in a referee outfit and you're like whoa look
1: at that yeah, it's guy you're in weird. real
0: clothes um and well, the reason, like, you get the to reason ask. I bring that up is because yeah.
1: like you we get that as players you get that same video but it's right. it's put on by the NFLPA and the vice president of the NFLPA is Troy Vincent that's why I brought that up mm. so I wasn't sure if it was the same video but I'm sure it's the same content seemingly
0: Yeah same stuff and they use they use the same plays as examples and they're like pulling the old Calvin Johnson play yeah. and, you know uh, there was some play for one of the Steelers. I just remember this, there was a Steelers play in it. Um, so I think it was like, a, actually, a – maybe it was like a Steelers Eagles game. And there was like a Zach Ertz touchdown that was like very, the one where he's like diving across the goal line. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Explaining like why this is this, why that is that. So it's, it's, it's very well done um, on that realm. But to answer your question, no, it's, it's, uh, So it's It's a bad event in terms of access. It's a great event because you generally get to just sit around at a stupidly nice hotel. And then like that was back when I was on the beat, that was our one chance typically to do interviews with some of the higher ups. Oh, I see. Um, And so you get your one meeting with Bruce Allen per year. Right. So nailed down on a couple of questions there. And like we all got 10 minutes and you get your 10 minutes with Bruce and, and you do it. And it was the only time I ever interviewed Bruce one-on-one. Not a memorable experience. <laughs>
1: I was going to say, like, it's it sounds very different than, like, the Combine or the Senior Bowl, even, where you do have kind of, like, this really cool access because people are out eating dinner. You bump into people all the time. But this is not that no, kind it's, of event. it's
0: Well, it might be a little different because, like, I always – I went in typically, like – it was a 36-hour trip for me. Okay. So it was, like, in early on one morning – which is kind of how I did the combine this year, which I will not be doing next year. I will be going for longer. Uh, but you know, in in early one morning, stay all day, stake out the hotel, uh, report whatever there is to report, to catch up with your media buddies because you're all doing the same thing, kind of waiting for these meetings to break, and then they break and it's chaos. And you go, you know, all right, Robert Kraft's holding court over here. Dan's definitely not talking ever. Um, obviously Tanya will be there uh now for her last time probably mm-hmm. um and so you try to get whoever you can and be told no by you know the washington people um and then stay one night do the same thing the next day and leave on a, a late flight but if you're like this time because this is actually i think is relevant and interesting like because the commander's sale is kind of happening in the background here mm-hmm. i know like jp and michael and kime and like one, everybody's out there. Like yeah. it was kind of one of those events where, like, some of the beat guys would go, some wouldn't. Everybody is out there. Um, now
1: you're saying, or- now,
0: now, because of the fact that we didn't know that there probably won't be news and there still might not be, but there are, are some things happening. And maybe before we get into the, the on field rule changes, I can run through some of that stuff real quick of what could be potentially happening on the sale. Um, but it's also a multi day thing where it's like hey you don't want something to happen on Tuesday and then you're not there so these right. all the reporters are going to be staying all the way through and my, my guess is they probably and this is a little bit nerdy and and I will say is also a little bit speculative but like just I, to lay out some possibilities uh from people who have been covering this i caught my eye logan that the finance committee is meeting and that mm-hmm. the like the one place that the commander sale might be being discussed is the finance committee. Mm, and the right. reason I think that's interesting is because there's not a deal to consider. It's not like, as far as we know, it's not like there's a deal in place and the finance committee is meeting to approve it and look through all the the data. There's no deal. So why would the right. finance committee be meeting? One of the things that potentially has been a hiccup in getting this thing across the finish line is the debt limits and the cash requirements. Okay. And so and this is something that is relevant to the commander sale and all future sales because I don't know how much you follow like this stuff in general in general but the NFL has kind of reached a problem where teams are worth too much money mm. that the pool of who could potentially buy them is restricted. Right. And so how do they expand that pool? Because there's plenty of rich people. Right. But how many of those rich people are liquid enough to meet the liquidity requirements to buy an NFL team? So there's, you have to have 30% of your total value in cash and you're only allowed to take on so much debt to get there. Right. And what they might do is vote to bring those limits down I see. because what, what they don't want. and, And to think about it, right. When Dan bought the team, it was a billion. Uh, it was an eight hundred eighty million dollar sale. But I'm going to use a billion just for the sake of easy math. Right. At thirty percent liquidity, that's three hundred million in cash. Right. There are plenty of rich people that have three hundred million in cash. Right. At a six billion dollar valuation, that's two point eight billion in cash. That's a lot the number of, cash. of people. Yeah, the number of people that have two point eight billion in cash is like the Walton family that just brought the Broncos and everyone that's richer than them because they're the eleventh richest people in America. So it's like, in terms of people bidding on this team, it's Bezos and that's it. That's really interesting, actually.
1: I mean, I think, yeah. And, and if they were to kind of at this financial, what did you say? Finance the committee. The finance uh, committee, yeah. yeah. If they were to kind of make a decision about that, you know, it would kind of open up some of the, some flexibility from the, from the from the bidders, I guess, which is interesting. So, right.
0: So if you all of a sudden bring that down to 25%, 20%, you're still getting super rich people because the team values have exploded where right. it used to be like, Oh, well, we don't want someone who's only got 300 million in cash because all of a sudden they have one deal go bust. And and they're you know that now the team is owned by the bank. Like you're talking about someone who's still got, you know, a billion and a half in cash, right? Like that's fine. And then, you know, they can, they can take on some extra debt. And then the last piece is do they allow private equity as minority investors? And I think that's probably a no-brainer in the long-term anyway. Um, the, the real like rip the Band-Aid off is do you allow foreign sovereign wealth funds in, which the NBA is considering? Um, so that's, that gets very different uh, discussion in terms of some geopolitics that get involved and who you want owning your teams. Uh, we don't need to go there for sure. But those are the kinds of things that I think potentially could be on the table that could affect this sale and help it get over the finish line but mm-hmm. also would affect all future sales, which is why I think it's worth discussing for the league because the, sure. the pool of bidders has just gotten so small.
1: That's really interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. So when would that meeting take place and when would the uh, news kind of come out? It's, is it- at
0: some point over the next, it's either today, we're recording this Monday, it's either today or tomorrow, tomorrow. Um, that meeting Yeah, happens. so that'll
1: be really interesting to see what comes out of that for sure. Yeah. I, th- I think I- that's really compelling actually.
0: Yeah, and I, again, I don't know that that is on the table necessarily, and whether or not, like, I'm sure it's on the table to be discussed. Right. I don't know whether it's going to get ultimately voted on and and that could change the dynamics of the sale. But um, Evan Novi Williams from Sportico, uh, who's on top of all this stuff, mentioned all those things that are kind of being bantied about behind the scenes when he was on the show last week. And so I do think that like when when all of a sudden it came out that from, I think it was Albert Breer that the finance committee, uh, is one of the places the commander's sale could be discussed as well as in a private, like, only the top owner's session. Uh, that, that, to me, is what was going on in my head of the things that could ultimately be discussed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day. Your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. Let's wrap up with the on-the-field rule changes. These we know are being discussed. Uh, let's start off with the touchback rule, Logan. Uh, and there's two different uh or two different things that are being considered one on kickoff, one on punt. We'll start with punt team, uh, which is very simple. Uh, kick or now, if there's a touchback on a punt, it goes to the 20 yard line. They're proposing to change that to the 25. Ooh. I kind of hate it. Why? I just think it's fine the way it is. Like, I think playing the field position game is part of the sport. I guess it would encourage more teams to go for it on fourth down because if you miss the punt, and gives yeah, the other team the better field position. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it seems like the risk, like, I want Tressway trying to pin teams deep, and if he misses, it's 20 yards, that's fine. 25 seems like too stiff a penalty, but that also might just be because that's the way it is, and that's what I'm used to.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's probably, for me too, my knee-jerk reaction is like, why are you messing with it? But I do think you bring up a compelling uh, argument as to the, this idea that, like, if you get teams in that kind of 45, 40 area field goal punt, go for it. Like that becomes a, v- a much more viable thing. And I think that's much more compelling from a football standpoint. Um, I think, you know, here in Washington, we like the idea of keeping it to 20 because it favors a defensive minded football team. Best right? player on the
0: team, Trest yeah. Way, let's go.
1: <laughs> and it favors having a good punter, which we have here. But um, I'm sure other organizations and other markets are like, and in the league in general is like, we want something a little bit more exciting. And this would make the games significantly more exciting. So, um, that's interesting. You know, again, I like the 20 cause that's like kind of traditionally what it's been, but I do think if you get offenses being more aggressive, get defenses being more aggressive around that 50, uh, you know, 35, 40, 50 yard line. Um, that's interesting to me. And I think interesting is what you want. And I think it, it, it adds an element of gamesmanship that is fun, you know, that is engaging from a schematic standpoint. Like if I'm game planning <clears throat> offensively, you know, now all of a sudden my fourth down package is not two plays. It's 10, 15 plays. It's a whole feature of the playbook. And what is my plan? What are defense is going to do? How do they attack this kind of thing? So I enjoy that, that chess match. I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm commenting on football. So if it adds another kind of schematic wrinkle, philosophical wrinkle, I think that's uh, that'd be pretty interesting. It'll be interesting to see what they do with that.
0: If this passes, let's get truss on. I'd be so fascinated to see what he thinks of it. Like, does that affect how aggressive he is in trying to pin teams? Like, is I'm he going to sure. wind up? Is he going to wind up pooching a lot more to the twelve rather than trying to pin teams inside the I five? I think so.
1: Wouldn't you? I mean, just like yeah, absolutely. Because the 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 penalties, gig- I mean, everyone thinks oh, it's five yards. That's a gigantic deal.
0: You know, that's well, it's also deal. like you know, you you pick up a penalty on first down and you're no longer inside your own ten yard line, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, the, the level of danger, that five yard cushion is pretty significant.
1: I think so. And like, again, this is a rule that's going to favor offenses dramatically. We had, um, the, that's that statistics gentleman, the analytics gentleman, Anika sharp. sharp, Yeah. yeah. And he was talking about how, you know, drives that start within inside the 10 yard line are 90% unlikely to succeed or whatever the statistic was. Now you're going to get less drives starting inside the 10 which is going to lead to more efficient, more effective offenses. And I think, I think if I was betting on it, I bet the league says we want to touch back to 25 because you want more offensive football.
0: Right. So that also plays into the next one, which is on kickoffs right now. If you fair, catch a kickoff uh, inside, like you fair, catch a kickoff, you get the ball where, where you catch it. Right? right. It doesn't happen very often, but it does on occasion. They want to make it. So if you fair, catch a kickoff, it automatically, like between the zero, between the goal line and the 25, the zero yard line. I've been <laughs> watching football my whole life. The goal line and the 24 yard line, uh, that it automatically goes to the 25. I think, I don't hate this, but I do think it needs one caveat. It needs one change. <clears throat> Only if the kickoff is from the native spot, right? What did I it kick it off? In the 30 or 35? What is it now? 30, uh, right? F- 35.
1: I don't know. Yeah. Whatever it
0: is. Hey, I know what you yeah. mean. Yeah. Let's say it's the 35. I think that's, I think that's what it is. So let's say on the extra point, the kicking team or the, the receiving team does a dum dum. they have a uh-huh. penalty. Now the kickoffs from the 50 kicking team traditionally would then be like, Hey, we can either boot it through the end zone it, or yeah. we can pooch it. <laughs> At that point, I think the penalty should apply on the pooch too. So like you're, you don't want to punish the team or reward the team who committed the penalty and say, oh, well, you get the ball to 25, pretty much no matter what. I think if you fair catch it, the 15 yards applies. And now you get the ball at the 10. That's interesting.
1: Uh, So my, my one comment on this is like, why even kick the ball off at this point? If you can fair catch the ball anywhere between the, the 25 and the goal line and get it back to the 25, it's like, why are we even kicking the ball off like that? I mean, it's like, what's the point? Like it touchback comes to 15 anywhere in there comes to 25. It's like, let's just start at the 25. And I understand this is for player safety, but like that is a play in the game that is significant. Right. And most returns come to like the 25, 26 yard line anyway. So then mm-hmm. like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, why are we even doing it? Let's just give it, let's just give them the ball to 25 and say, let's go get it.
0: Or just like and, give it, give at least give the option. Like, Hey, we, no, we want a kickoff return because we have a dynamic yeah. returner returner and we need a big play. Uh, versus like, no, we'll just give our, we'll just give our guy, our, our quarterback the ball at the 25. Right. It just seems I, I think, like making an automatic option. At least that's
1: what I'm saying. It's like, why are we adding this mechanic? Like, you know, and even for TV purposes, it slows the game down so much. Like I'd rather just say, Hey, oh, but you gotta, take- you gotta
0: have the, the commercial kickoff commercial look, that's you gotta true. have time to sell those ads. That's true,
1: I guess that's true. And maybe that's why they're keeping that in there. But to me, it's like, they're always talking about how the games are too long. If you're trying to shorten the games, if you're trying to help player safety, and I don't want this to be a thing because I think the kickoff is an, is a beautiful thing that gets guys roster spots and you know, it's, it's, there's drama associated associated with it. But if this is the, if this is a rule that you're actually considering, then why are we even kicking the football off? Would be my thought.
0: I, that's a great question. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, But it's, it's a hundred percent true. All right. uh, Let's see. Do, 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 do. Uh, there's a rule to prevent the offense from finning. I'm going to read through some of these. There's not really much to be discussed here. Change the definition of a launch to leaving one or both feet. That's one that doesn't feel like a big deal right now, but it's, someone's going to get ejected in the middle of the season. And we're all going to be like, huh? But it's, it also seems like the right, like whether you launch off one or two feet, like you can be incredibly powerful. And if you're trying to do player safety, like the contact should matter, not the launch.
1: Yeah, I mean that—that that seems like an unenforceable rule. Like some of these rules that the like the that the rules committee are voting on, I think one of the reasons they don't get put through is because they're not enforceable. Like, how do you expect a guy, an official, to make that decision split second? You know what I mean? Like, it's so hard to see. Like, I coach a lot. I coach a lot of offensive linemen. Coach a lot of tackling, and it's in, unless I'm specifically staring at this gentleman's feet, I can't tell. And so you're asking him to look at the formation, look at the concept, look at the PI. And then all of a sudden on the contact, you're asking to decide whether or not he's leaving off one or two feet. That seems like a- almost unenforceable in my opinion. And so I-, I don't know if that would even get through because like, how? like that's just such a big lift for the. Yeah. It
0: team. almost, it almost sounds like it's better to change it. That way you don't have to worry about the feet. Right. right. It's like, yes. did he launch or did he not? And yeah, oh, don't. he launched, but I didn't see if it was one or two feet. Sorry. Yeah. Like, it's like, um, is,
1: is he, I think that like, even the crown of the helmet thing, I know people get all worked up about that. I think that's a great rule, by the way. Um, yeah. Like that's easy to see because you're looking at the tackle. Like mm-hmm. that. Like that's what's happening, right? But you're asking him to look at before the tackle even happens. So it's just, I don't know. It just seems like it's. Right. It if you're watching like the real. ball,
0: you might not see a guy yeah. where he launched from. All right. Uh, To make the penalty for tripping a personal foul. Oh, all right. Sure. Fine. Yeah, what is it? 10 yard penalty now? Just make it a 15. Yeah. Yeah. Sure uh to make the penalty for illegally handing the ball forward consistent with other illegal acts such as illegal forward passes um so basically if you hand the ball off you obviously cannot do it forward um that that's true? yeah uh like i guess it's well like if you're beyond the line of scrimmage right Oh, um it's it's so it's the same as like a forward pass you just right. the ball's never in the air okay that seems that. that seems yeah, obvious to whatever. me do what you um do. I don't really know how often that comes up in games, but I, I think it's more of an like fumble rooskies at the end of the game kind of situation. I
1: wonder if that's affecting RPOs at all. You know?
0: Like, yeah, but like if it's a f- the first action, you know, that seems like it shouldn't, because yeah. you could just toss it forward the same.
1: Yeah, right. I don't know. We don't know that rule. So sorry, fans. Don't yeah. Get it. Sorry,
0: everybody. Uh, I don't get it. Uh, seems like a technicality. Uh, <laughs> that should already be in place. And sometimes that's what these rules are. It's like there's one play that's like well, that was overly confusing. Why don't we just make it consistent with what we yeah, think it should right, be? Right. Um, to prevent the offense from benefiting by an extension of the half as a result of their foul, that seems pretty obvious, and I thought it was yep. actually already a rule because uh, you have like 10-second runoffs and stuff like that. Maybe, I but know, the game maybe...
1: can't end on a penalty. So there was, uh, I think this happened last year, right? There was a, there was an offensive
0: hold. Well, it can yeah. end on an, uh, it can end on, on an offensive uh penalty if there's a 10 second runoff like the, if the game's over the game's over after the runoff right but if they, like they end say, on a defensive penalty
1: but what if it's zero like this is the question if it's zeroed out it's the last play of the game there's an offensive holding is the game over or do you just repeat the down
0: um i think well the defense would just decline the penalty is right. so long that they're winning and then the game would be over so this seems like a weird rule to me yeah i don't i don't really know what the situation is so you know here we are just a bunch of pros It's okay. I called it the zero yard line earlier Uh, to put the ball in play. Let's see. That's the kickoff one. So,
1: yeah, for for people listening to this, if you're still listening, thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Yeah. God bless you.
1: Please leave a comment about rules you'd like to see changed. Right. Or if you understand any of the rules we're talking about. Also, (laughs) please leave a comment.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Help. Help us help you help us. Uh, All right. This, one, this one's the most fun rule that's on the, uh, the docket. The Eagles want to permit the use of zero as a jersey number to allow kickers and punters to use any jersey number between zero and 49 and 90 and 99. So they want to add number zero. For the kickers, specifically? That's what it sounds like, but I think it's in general. Just anybody can have zero? Or maybe, it's, maybe it is just kickers. But either way, I'm for it
1: yeah why not i mean i think so the reason you'd have that rule is because you can't have two people with the same number on the field in a regular season game there Mm -hmm. are in preseason games sometimes you'll see like 247s or something like that part of it is just it makes it easier to get players on the field if the kicker is zero then you're not worried about number one being the kicker and then number one being a db right so everyone's got their own number makes it a little bit easier so that's why i would uh, this should this should be a no-brainer, yes, yeah. Although I do
0: – it's now, let's see, kickers and punters between 0 and 49, 90, 99. I do feel like you're going to start getting a lot of kicker number 43s, like just numbers <laughs> that nobody really will. I'll do respect for the number 43s out there. That's the point.
1: Yeah, like 49, I think there's like one person in the NFL with 49, and then like 99, you know, like Aaron Donald's not covering kicks. I think like part of it, they just want to like get them in number brackets where they can have the appropriate linebackers, safeties, tight ends on the field at the same yeah. time.
0: Um, okay. This is the last big one. I knew we were missing one. Uh, the Eagles would like to substitute one offensive play for an onside kickoff attempt that, that offensive I play that. is fourth and 20 from the kicking team's 20 yard line. I agree with you. This is such a no brainer.
1: Do it. Make it happen. Cause I, I think the XFL does this and yes, it is correct. compelling football. And I think it's a, it's a fourth and 15. Yeah. It's, fourth, it's a fourth and 15
0: and in the XFL there. The Eagles proposal is fourth and 20. And the thing is, like Anthony looked up the data on the show the other day. There's been, like, in the last, I think last year, there were three onside kick conversions. It, like, it's a, now it's, with the new rules. Yes.
1: It, it's almost impossible to do it. So, um, I mean, obviously, when it happens, it's crazy and it's super compelling and it's exciting. But I do think why not get get the football in your highest paid players' hands with your best players on the field for that one play. And I think Philadelphia, I would love to see what Philadelphia comes up with in terms of fourth and 20 stuff. Eric Bieniemy, Andy Reid, because like you're going to see hook and ladders, you're going to see throwbacks, you're going to see all sorts of craziness to get that down done. So I think that's awesome. I, I would love to see that. Did they have anything in there about the push rule for Philly or did they already change that?
0: Uh, they they already uh, said that that's going to stay for right now, They, in part because they right. need to study it more. Um, There's no, they don't really have like any injury data on it. And the whole thing is more being attacked from a player safety standpoint. And so right. it's like, well, we don't really have a lot of injury data. It doesn't seem like a lot of dudes have gotten hurt on that play compared to other quarterback sneaks. So someone's going to have to figure out how to stop it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I thought we were going to talk about that play. So I prepped a little bit on it. I watched a couple of quarterback sneaks, which mm-hmm. is always compelling to watch. On yeah, <laughs> But I will say that the one thing about that, that really stood out to me is it wasn't the double push that was getting the conversion. It was their technique on the offensive line. Like they basically like kind of root under on all fours. Like they're basically crawling forward. Most quarterback sneaks, you kind of get like a normal blocking technique. They're Mm. actually like on all fours scrambling forward into the legs of the defensive lineman. So you create like a little bit of a wave. And then obviously the push is helpful in certain situations, no doubt. But to me, that's the technique that everyone should be adopting is this kind of on all fours. We're scrumming forward. We're kind of bear crawling into your legs to create this extra little bit of surge, which is really, really interesting that when I looked at it, I thought, oh, it's the push that's getting in there. It's the two people pushing from from behind, but it's actually the technique of the offensive lineman.
0: That feels like it'd be terrible if you're a defensive lineman. What do you do with that? So You can either meet them down low, and then you have no shot at making the tackle – or you just have to hope they don't drill you in the thigh and you go over the top and try to make a tackle. Like but I, that's just...
1: why it's been so effective. It's, right. it's, it's literally like, when you watch them, obviously the push is a part of it, but it's that technique that consistently gets them the down because the, uh, the defensive linemen don't know what to do. If you get up and you play hands on the shoulder, they're just going to keep crawling forward. And you're going to give ground. If you try to play over the top, they get into your thighs and they just pull you back. It's not a painful play for anybody. It's just technically, how do you solve it? So you see some teams trying to meet head on, right? Mm-hmm. But Philly's better at it. So they just come underneath, like up- uproot the uh, defensive line. And then the
0: um, And then the you linebacker... have no leverage trying to tackle Correct. a guy who squats 600 pounds.
1: And then they try to jump over top, but everything's just kind of gliding forward. So I think if, if I'm Washington, you know, like this is something I said when they signed Jacoby Brissett. Like he was the fourth, down, fourth and short quarterback for uh, Cleveland last year, even when um, Deshaun Watson, Watson came comeback. back. Like if you can, for, if you can um, get him in there in those situations and you can consistently convert, I mean, think about how many possessions you can steal. And if that's the technique that's really effective, Washington should be studying that and getting a guy who's good at quarterback sneaking and crushing it. Although I will say when I talked to Brissett, I said, man, how about that Philly sneak? He's like, well, they're running it wrong. I do it better than them. This is what he said to me. Can you believe that? So There's obviously uh, very confident in his ability, but.
0: I love that. Uh, that's yep. gonna that's gonna make some waves. Okay, hey aggregators, write that up. Get us some clicks. Jacoby Brissett <laughs> said that. All right. Yeah, uh, he's just kind
1: of like yeah, he's like they don't do it right, and I was like, and I wanted to be like, what do you mean? And then he had to go, and I was like, oh, like <laughs> maybe, now I'm on. Maybe unbated, we need Jacoby on the pod. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Jacoby would be great. Um, but I think he learned it from Tom Brady, and so Tom Brady's also a very effective quarterback. Speaker, yeah, he's the so, best all time. Yeah, so. I w- maybe I need to go watch Tom Brady these. Do. I don't want to watch more quarterback sneaking, but maybe that's what this calls for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's get to the bottom of what he was talking about. It's the
0: it's the off season, Logan. Sometimes yeah. you got to this is the time to pull some teeth. To bite right. the bullet, yeah. Uh anything else on the rule changes? Let me make sure there's not any other. Uh there's more opportunities for a third challenge basically like if you if you get yeah, one out of good. two. I like that.
1: Yeah, like you shouldn't lose it. Like you shouldn't be penalized for getting one right, I don't think. Right, Like, like uh, say you get both of your challenges right, like, I should get a bonus challenge.
0: You do. You do if you get both of okay, them right, but, but if you, get you one don't of them run right, for yeah. two. But, like, so often, the first one, or, like, one of the two is so obvious that it's ridiculous that you had to use a challenge right. in the first place. So, I kind of like having the, the third in the pocket uh, if you get one of two. Um, and then there's, like, jurisdiction for the replay official type stuff um that's that's there as well uh which if some of the stuff passes maybe we'll we'll talk about it then when it's a little more concrete all right uh we'll be back later in the week for another pod uh more draft stuff obviously still to come next week we'll be doing our mock drafts so make sure you get all your friends to subscribe so they don't miss it uh for now i'll see you on the radio logan will see you on command center on youtube and uh hope everybody has a great week see ya